are kicking off a new series, and we started last week on wonder. And these are questions that have been asked from our congregations, uh, people who have asked these questions, things that they wonder about. And today's uh, issue that we're talking about, today's topic, is probably the question that I've been asked the most throughout the 17-year history of this church. This question has come up over and over and over again. People have concerns about the way this is done and how it's done, when it's done. And so it's probably the number one asked question of our church's history. And you might be thinking, what is that? What is it that people ask more about, have more questions about than any other subject? What is that? Well, it's actually pretty simple. It's the word communion. Maybe you called it the Lord's Supper growing up. We have people over and over asking uh, about why do you do it? What does it mean? And why do you do it the way that you do it? And you might think, why do people keep asking questions about that? Well, I'll tell you why. Nearly 30% of our people were raised Catholic. A lot of our people were raised Episcopalian or Anglican or maybe Lutheran. Uh, some of you were raised Southern Baptist. Some of you were raised uh, maybe in a Bible church or Church of Christ. And we all have these different backgrounds that we come together and different opinions. And quite frankly, you had, many of you had different teachings about this subject. And today I want us to look at Scripture and see what Scripture says about it. And here's the question. What does Jesus want us to remember? What does Jesus want us to remember? Now, I want to give you the purpose right up front for communion. And here's the purpose. RPC, Rock Point Church, RPC. This is easy to remember. The R is for remember. He wants us to remember. Number two, the P is for proclaim. He wants us to proclaim. And the C is he wants us to connect. He wants us to remember. He wants us to proclaim. And he wants us to connect. Now, there are several titles, and let's talk about those for just a moment. Depending on how you were raised, there were several titles that were given to this, uh, this subject, to this ordinance. Uh, many of you grew up with the title communion, and that's a good one. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in just a moment in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians, that the word communion is used, at least in the King James Version it's used. Um, then there's the word Eucharist. If you were raised Catholic, uh, you called it the Eucharist. And the Eucharist means thanksgiving. That's literally what the word means. So there is communion, which means to connect. There is Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. And then there's the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you grew up Southern Baptist, then you probably heard it called the Lord's Supper. And uh, then there's another term called the agape feast. Now, the agape feast and the Lord's Supper are really the same thing. And this is what the church did in the early days. Now, Jesus instituted this during Passover, the night of Passover, uh, which we call the Lord's Supper or we call uh, the Last Supper. Um, and that was the night that this was inaugurated, that he reformed and he basically re-inaugurated. He uh, started anew of understanding the Passover has been fulfilled. 
uh, through Jesus Christ. There was a lamb that was sacrificed on behalf of the people. Now Jesus Christ himself is going to be sacrificed on behalf of the people. And we are to remember this just as they were to remember Passover. They are now to remember the Last Supper, to remember the, uh, what the Lord's Supper would be called. And then there became what's called the agape feast. What's the agape feast? That's where they would all gather together as the church. They would eat a meal and then they would observe this last portion that we traditionally do at the end. So that's where the Lord's Supper term comes from. It was originally a full meal that they would come and eat of. And that's what we're going to look at and we're going to see is transpiring in 1 Corinthians here in just a moment. Now, there's also three different views regarding communion. If you were Catholic, <clears throat> you, you grew up and you learned this view. It's called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation, the word trans means to change. Substantiation means substance change substance. So in Catholicism, the belief is this, that when the priest blesses the elements, blesses the bread and the cup, then it becomes the literal bread or the literal body and the literal blood of Jesus. So transubstantiation. So that's Catholicism. That's the view that they take. Now on the other side, uh, there's a view called memorialism. And uh, Hudrich uh, Zwingli came up with this view, and he, he basically said that the bread and the cup are, are simply symbols. They're not any more than that. They're symbolic of what Jesus uh, was doing, of, of Jesus' blood and of Jesus' body. So those are the two kind of uh, extreme views, transubstantiation and memorialism. All right, but there's one other view. Actually, there's several other views, but one other view that's primary, and it's this. It's the belief that communion is the real presence slash mystery of Christ. In other words, when we come together, excuse me, when we come together to receive communion, there is something very special that transpires. The Spirit of God comes upon us, comes upon our observance, comes upon our receiving the elements in a very special way that's mysterious. The real and, and, the, real and uh, the individual presence of Christ spreads amongst us. And that's actually my view, uh, that it's more than just a symbol, but it's not transforming. But the presence of Christ, when we obey and we follow in what Jesus asked us to do, that there is a real presence of nurturing and connecting with the spirit that we can't do otherwise. Okay? So those are the three primary views. Now, with that understood, I want to read one verse to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, that helps us understand the language that we use. Now, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, the Bible says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, there's that word, the connection of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So there's that word communion. Now I'm using the King James. Normally we use the English standard version, but because of just this topic, just this one time, uh, we're using the uh, King James version. Now I want to set this up. We're going to look at chapter 11, beginning with verse 17 here in just a moment. But let me tell you what's transpiring in the Corinthian church. Paul has started this church a few years before, and they were in a very affluent area. They were doing very well. There were multiple small group churches, so to speak, spread out, but then they would all come together probably once a week uh, for uh, a time of worship and teaching and communion. 
And as they were doing that, he's, he's left. <clears throat> he's been gone a couple of years. He hears about the divisions that's transpiring in this church and what's happening. Well, there are some in the Corinthian church that are very wealthy. They're very well off. And there are others who are just common laborers. There are some that are even slaves. There are some uh, that are in between. And so what's, what happened in that culture typically is the wealthy would eat with the wealthy and the poor would eat with the poor. That was a common, that was the common theme of the day. That was just part of the culture. And so when you dined with someone who was wealthy, you showed your status and it was expected in the pagan culture, that's the way you did it. And you didn't break class. It was almost kind of like a caste system. But Christianity instituted a new way of doing things of where they were supposed to be neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Uh, bond or free. There's not supposed to be that. When you come, we all come before Christ as one, in one body, in one spirit, and Christ sees us for who we are, not our ethnic group, not our financial status, and that's what the church is supposed to be, everybody coming together to worship. But basically what they were doing, they were kind of having time for the wealthy and time for not. And what would happen is uh, the wealthy would get there first. Matter of fact, uh, they would probably meet at the wealthiest person's home because they had the biggest home that they could handle everybody. And they would show up and the wealthy were showing up and they were starting the dinner and they were having quite the feast. And matter of fact, they ate so much. Uh, they drank so much that they were starting to become tipsy. And then the, the people, the other folks would come in who were poorer and there would be nothing left or there would just be scraps left. And this group would be having such a good time. They had pretty much finished everything. And there was a, there was a serious division. And Paul is writing in response to this, to what's transpiring. So if you have your Bible, look with me in 1 Corinthians, beginning with chapter 11, Verse 17. Now, this is what I declare unto you. I praise you not. Paul is saying, I am not encouraging you that together, not for the better, but for the worse. When you come together, you have made it worse. For first of all, uh, when you come together as church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it. <clears throat> we just talked about those divisions. For there must be also heresies among you, which you approve <clears throat> and are making manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before others in his supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. He's saying, look, you've come together, and you've come, and many of you have started eating, you've started drinking, and you've made a division, you've castigated those who don't have your economic status, and you've eaten, uh, you, you've... Uh, eating an enormous amount, apparently, <clears throat> and some of you are even getting drunk. And he says this, he goes, don't you have your own houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame them that have not? For what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? I will not praise you for this. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus that same night which he was prayed, took the bread. In verse 24, and when he had given thanks, there's that word Eucharist, thankful, <clears throat> he broke it or he break it in the King James language and said, take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now we see right here 
They're taking communion, they're receiving communion, and he's reminding them this is what transpired. This is what happened. Jesus Christ, on that night, he took the bread and he took the cup and he told you, this is my body, this is my blood. And he asked you to do this in remembrance of him. He gave thanks and and then he broke the bread. Now, let me stop right there because every once in a while someone will say, Pastor, I heard you say that Jesus' body was broken, that they broke the body. This is my body that's broken for you. And that's exactly, by the way, what the King James uh, Version says. And they go, but you know, that's not true. Uh, Jesus didn't have any of his bones broken. And so that, that's not true. Let me say this. He's not talking about broken bones. He didn't say, and they broke his bones. That's not what he's saying. His body, he was beaten. He was battered. He was pulverized. He was broken in the sense of his body could not even stand. They had to have someone else carry the cross for him. Simon the string had to carry the cross because he was so beat down. It's just like if somebody beat the tar out of you and you were in ICU, I'd go, man, he's pretty broken up. I wouldn't be saying, well, you know, I think he had six bones broken. You wouldn't think, how many bones did he have broken? No, his body is beaten. His body is better. His body was broken. Okay, so don't, don't get stuck. <laughs> Sometimes we get stuck on the method and on the quote and miss the meaning. Remember, we're talking about the purpose and the meaning. So then he said, take this body, which is broken for you, and do this in remembrance of me remembrance. That's a big word. That's our first point, remembrance. What does remembrance mean? In English, for us, it really just means recall. I recall when I was younger, I did this. I recall when this happened. But in the Hebrew, Abraham Heschel, many of you have heard me say this before, who was a great Jewish theologian of the 20th century. He said, uh, hey, for us as Jews in the Hebrew language, the most important word we have is remember. And it does mean recall, but it's much richer and deeper than that. It means to remember in a manner of which you go back and you attach yourself and you worship and you are thankful and you are grateful. That's what that word remember means. Here's a good way for you to think of it. Tim Keller said this one time. He said, when you think of remember in the scriptures, remember what the uh, antithesis or the opposite is. The opposite of remember is dismember. What does it mean to dismember? Well, if I lose a arm or a leg or a hand or a finger, I have been dismembered. And sometimes if you're very fortunate, you can go to the doctor and if you've lost a finger or you've lost something, uh, an extremity, you can have it sewed back on. In other words, it's remembered, okay? It's been dismembered, it's remembered. It's reconnecting at its core. That's what the word remember means. And so he said, do this, reconnect, regraft in. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I've done. Remember this time. It's a time of thanksgiving. It's a time to be grateful. And it's a time to find yourself as humbled before the great gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel where Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And as we transfer our trust to him, we receive the grace and we become a member of his kingdom. The Bible continues here and it says, in verse 26, after the same manner, he also took the cup and he supped with saying, and said, this is the new Testament in my blood or the new covenant. That word Testament means covenant, covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of 
Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death till he comes. We show forth. What is he saying there? He's saying you proclaim. You proclaim that you believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and buried, but on the third day he rose again. And you are proclaiming this. And you are proclaiming that you believe that one day he's coming again. So we are remembering and we're proclaiming our testimony. We're proclaiming our faith. We're proclaiming the truth of God. So we remember, we proclaim, and then the scripture says, for whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. All right, now here's the controversy. So I want you to listen for just a second. Because if you grew up like me, my understanding, my, my interpretation is, oh boy, when we come to this time, you better be really, really still. You should feel really badly. And you should think about what you've done. And you, hopefully you've been good this week. Because if you hadn't been good this week, you can't take the Lord's Supper. You can't have any. You've been bad. And that's kind of what I thought growing up. I thought that's what it meant to be unworthy, that there was some kind of sin that I did this week. And now I'm out. I'm going to have to wait till next week, see if I can do better. And then maybe I can get the Lord's Supper. That's not what's going on. Remember what we talked about, what was transpiring here? That some were coming and they were eating and they were drinking. Some were even getting drunk. And then as others would come in, they'd go, hey, see if there's anything left. Let's, let's have a glass to Christ. <laughs> they were doing it in a very unworthy manner. He's specifically addressing that issue. That there were those who knew Christ and who knew better, who had plenty, who should be the most grateful. And they were doing it without considering what it meant, without remembering. They were partying. That's what they were doing. And he said, that's unworthy. Can I tell you this? We're, who's unworthy to receive of the, of the gospel? Who's unworthy to receive of the table? All of us. Are you worthy? Have you gone without sin this week? And remember, if you were angry with someone, you had sin in your heart. So have you been perfect this week? No, we're all unworthy. That's the whole point. Anybody who thinks they're worthy, they shouldn't take it. <laughs> if you think you're unworthy, that means your heart's right, okay? You recognize, man, it's but by the grace of God that I've been saved and that I'm here and he has gifted me and I'm so thankful so I come and I recognize as I examine my heart. What does that mean to examine that heart? What is the same word we get? Test. I test my heart to see, am I grateful? Am I remembering? Am I recognizing? L let me tell you again, in the context, they were not examining their heart. They weren't thinking, absolutely, God's blessed me and he's given me this. And obviously I've done well. He's blessed me. And so I'm going to take a little more here. That was that they were not passing the test because they weren't. They weren't connecting themselves to the rest of the body. They weren't recognizing the great gift. They weren't celebrating that. They were celebrating their own value, their own worth. And so they were receiving in an unworthy amount. They needed to examine their heart. We examine our heart and we go, God, I realize that I don't deserve. I have not earned it, but by grace I'm saved through faith. And I humble myself before you and I receive with thanks giving. That's to receive in a worthy manner. That's to examine your heart. Can I tell you another, another way that you know you probably shouldn't be receiving? 
is if you're worried about somebody else taking it that shouldn't be. Every once in a while, God, God love them, people come up and they go, you know, there's some people in here that shouldn't be taking communion. And I'm thinking, yeah, you, because <laughs> you're being judgmental right now. That's, that's what I want to say. I never said that. I've never had the guts to say, yeah, it's you. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, some of these people, I know, I, like I know that one family, they should not be taking it. And I'm thinking, that's what Paul's talking about. <laughs> that's the unworthy matter. That you're looking at other people and you're pointing out other people and you're not looking at your own heart. Let us examine our heart, not somebody else's heart. God's, God's got that under control. He's wanting this to be personal with you and to connect the body, not for you to make judgments on who's worthy and who's not. You're unworthy. That means you've got the same spirit of the Corinthians. You've decided, now I, I can take it, but they shouldn't be taking it. That's the wrong spirit. Examine your heart. Okay, so one of the, one of the kids came up last week, uh, after last service. He says, now, if you continue, we're not, we don't have time to go in the whole passage, but some have taken an unworthy manner and they have become sick and some have died. It uses the word asleep. Some have died. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the Corinthians who were getting drunk, who were eating, who were marginalizing, and God's saying, look, this is a special time, and some have gotten sick because they don't recognize it. They are unwilling to incorporate others. They're unwilling to connect, and they take this in an unworthy manner. They don't examine their heart. And so, yes, some have gotten sick. But he's not talking about uh, people who, uh, hey, you're not sure if they know Christ. He's not talking about people who sin this week or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are openly just castigating others and are not making this a time between them and the Lord, seeking to encourage and to nourish, but are castigating instead. So when we come, we come to remember to reconnect, to connect to the spirit of Christ, to connect one another. We come to proclaim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We come to connect to the spirit of God and to connect with one another as we receive of this special time. Uh, Tony Campolo tells a story when he was six years old, his family had been raised Catholic and they started to go, in, go to this new church. And he said, there they were passing the plates for communion. And he said, I remember there was a lady that sat up in front of us on the road right in front of us, and she was pregnant, but I noticed she didn't have a husband. And so when they started passing the plates out, when it came to her, she just passed on, told them to go on, and she began to cry. And then it came to us, and my father with his Sicilian accent said, he took that plate and he put it up in front of her, and he goes, this is for you. Take it. It is for you. And she sheepishly took it, and she began to receive. And he said, you know, I got a great picture of what it looks like. Here was a woman who felt unworthy. Here was a woman, as she examined herself, she, she felt ashamed. But here was a woman who was ready to receive of the grace and the gospel of Christ. What about you? Today, as we receive from the table of the Lord, I want you to remember I want you to remember what Christ has done for you. I want this to be a time where you are remembering to the body. I want this to be a time where you're saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that one day he will come again and he'll return. I proclaim that. And I want to connect to you, Jesus. Connect my spirit to you. Connect us all together as one in the body of Christ as we receive from the table of the Lord. If you have your cup at this time, would you prepare it? And we will prepare to receive 
after I pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for this special time of communion where we come together to remember, where we come together to proclaim, and we come together to connect. Lord, as we receive of the bread, we do so in recognition that you lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And Lord, as we receive of the cup, we do so in remembrance of your blood that gives us a new covenant because you said in your word there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So you shed your blood on our behalf. We give you thanks and praise this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.